Bugger's on a mission And the stakes are getting higher Other teams in the majors Don't have a prayer against the friars Long ball, small ball Back against the wall Welcome to episode 111 of the EBT Podcast. My name's Austin Hartsfield. Here with me, like every week now, is James Clark. James, how are we doing today? And how are we feeling about the guest today? <laughs> doing well, doing well. Excited to talk some baseball during the offseason, as always. It's, uh, it's a rarity for us to talk Padres baseball during the offseason. So uh, excited to have our guest on today. For sure. If uh, if you're wondering why I'm doing the intro, it's because we have one of my favorite people on this podcast today. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to word this without insulting him. Let's just call him Oklahoma Sooner, uh, Texas League champion, Emerald Asad Poodle, and, of course, Padres organization pitcher, Blake Rogers. What are we doing today, Blake? How you doing, bud? Uh, doing pretty well. Just got home from my workout. Uh about two weeks into the off season now, so just ready to get rolling, get prepared for next year. Texas League champions sound pretty good. It sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what well, I mean, and a crazy finish. Like we talked about it after almost immediately. Uh, you know how fitting of an ending, right? You know, like the funny thing mm-hmm. is, uh, there's a couple. I guess there's four or five of us that were in the fall league championship last year. Mm-hmm. And the game almost played out the exact same way. Like, no offense for seven innings. It's a tight game. And it's like, are we ever going to get going? And then at the last second, just erupted. Came back. And, I mean, the way that whole thing unfolded was just absolutely unbelievable and kind of really summed up our year. It was it was kind of crazy because, like, y'all got to the point during the year to where it was you can't count them out, you know? And it... Like, I was just, like, watching a Disney movie at times. It was kind of crazy. Absolutely. Like, did you feel that in the bullpen where it was just like, all right, any second, this this could be a game, so we need to be ready? Yeah, I felt like as soon as the reliever that got chased in the eighth inning, he had, he had thrown, like, three innings and probably it felt like he struck out everybody that he got out. And I think we got, like, a walk, and then – he got the two outs. They went out for a visit, decided to leave him in. Then we get a base hit. And that really changed the complexion because it's like, okay, now they're going to go get him. And we got a, a really good chance, especially with uh, Evan Miller coming in for the eighth inning. And if uh, we would have to pinch hit for him, which I think that was the plan anyway, the way the lineup was folding, we were going to turn over to Radke and we were going we to be set. We knew as it, we knew if we got a chance to pitch in the ninth inning, whether it was tied or we had to lead, we were going to win the game. Were you as nervous as I was when Taylor was turning around talking to the umpire on that strike two call? <laughs> oh my god, that <laughs> that was brutal. We because we had a clear in Tulsa, we have a clear view of the strike zone, uh-huh. and that guy that guy was really good all day, but I think he might have missed one there, um, and he just turned around he was he's probably i'm sure you could in the dugout or in the stands you could hear what he was saying like he looked like he was screaming at him and then works it works it back to like two two or three two or whatever and then just absolutely mashes a ball into the bullpen 
like I was just in my brain. I was like, Taylor, please be quiet. Like he's going to toss you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's one of those things where you have a little bit of leeway in those playoff games. uh, Cause I think, uh, Welly in game four, I think first batter that we faced on defense, like Jesse was getting pretty squeezed. It was pretty tight. And Willie goes out there and got into him. And then that was, I mean, there's just a little bit more leeway because you don't want, you want people getting tossed in meaningful games like that if you can prevent it. But Game one was pretty crazy too, right? Umpire-wise? Like, I thought Willie was going to yeah. get tossed in game one or game two. I just don't remember which one it was. Um, it Maybe that was the Midland <laughs> Series. Maybe that was the uh, Midland. <laughs> was that the Midland Series? There was a play at the plate or something where uh, someone got hit by pitch or something that was – I can't remember. Oh, something, that was, there was wild. Something that, Wellman got really, really <laughs> riled up. How's it like playing for him, by the way? Love it. He's – he shoots you straight. Uh, he really wants what's best for you. He's, he knows that his job uh, is to get you to the next level and onto the big leagues, whether you go from double-A to the big leagues or double-A, triple-A big leagues. Uh, he's really invested in all of his players and wanting to get them to their goal. And, like, that's – like, the winning the championship meant a lot to him. But whenever, like, we would send a guy up to the big leagues, uh, that was probably the happiest – you would see someone like that. Awesome. Awesome. Before we get more into the players and the coaches, give me a little bit about the city of Amarillo and the fact that this was the first season that baseball had been back in so long and just the general excitement in the city uh, during the season. And and then after you guys actually came back home with the championship, people of Amarillo are probably some of the best, if not the best that I've run across in my baseball career, like the, the outpouring support that they show night in and night out. I mean, selling out on Tuesdays. Mondays is unheard of. And Tuesdays, like those are the, if you get 50%, like you probably did a good job. Cause even like Fort Wayne, I mean, for low A, it's still good on Monday nights. It'd be like three or 4,000 out of six or seven, but like Amarillo people, six, 7,000 people showing up on a Monday or Tuesday night. That's, that's unheard of. It's crazy. That's that's awesome. I mean, and, you know, when was the last year that, that baseball was in Amarillo before prior to 2019? 70s, I think, in the 70s. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, there are a lot of a lot of brand new fans being consummated and born out there. So it's, it's exciting for you guys to bring that championship to, to them. Um, give me a little bit about that bus ride on the ride home. Because you went straight Amarillo. home, right, Blake? Yeah. You, you... Yeah. After after the uh, Tulsa series. Yeah. Yeah. We went we went home and, and I don't know what time we ended up leaving Tulsa. I mean, we were, we were pretty fired up. Like it's one thing to like win a championship and you're excited, but like to win it the way we did, like normally like on, on bus trips, like during the season, like, you know, everyone has their headphones in, nobody's talking. And like, we were all just having a blast. And when we got back, like to be welcomed by like, 200 people or whatever it was outside the stadium. I mean, that's like some small town high school football stuff. <laughs> so outside of you, right, probably the person that I talked to most, it's like you, Ivan Castillo, and then probably Jimmy Jones. Like, give me something on Jimmy. Like, tell everybody at home who hasn't had the chance to interact with Coach Jones, you know, kind of what he's like as a pitching coach. Uh, I'd say he's really good on being informed on stuff. He has like a a good blend of 
the the old school stuff uh, and then blending that in with analytics and like he won't he won't go and uh, tell you something that he would like pick up on a rap soda or track man unless he went and read on it and figured out what the information means and being able to apply that uh, individually case by case like everyone is a little bit different he's not a cookie cutter coach and like the things that he's able to pick up on and simplify it for you it's it's amazing like it takes a guy it's really beneficial for us to have a guy that not only played in the big leagues for a while but has been coaching for i don't i don't know like 15 20 years whatever it's been and see a bunch of different guys that uh have come through the system for him like the the Kluvers and then now the guys that are coming up through us, us right now like it's it's really a huge tool for us to have him and a great resource yeah I've, I've heard nothing but but good good stuff from from all the pitchers that are even in the major leagues right now about about Mr. Jones um Blake give us a little more about the Rapsoda machine and the Edutronic cameras uh, is that a technology that you're embracing? Is that something that's new to you? When did you first start using those? Uh, I, we started using them. Well, I, I, the first time I used them was in spring training. And we every time that we throw off a mound, like if we're doing a touch and feel or a bullpen, like before BP, uh, we throw on that and it picks up like all the pitches. But there's uh, definitely like certain things that I had to like, it took me time to figure out what is important and what makes me more effective. Like the big thing that I look for is the spin efficiency because that makes, uh, it makes your, whatever spin rate you have, it kind of tells you like how effective it is. Like if you have high spin rate, but a low spin efficiency, then it's not going to be as effective. Like if it's 2,400 and it's, I don't know, 90% spin efficiency, it might pop up as like 2000. So you're losing, uh, certain deception and ride on your fastball or whatever the pitch might be and being able to like correct that and see where your hand positioning is uh, you can get that spin efficiency up which that that for, to me that's really important awesome um so so you know where your numbers should be and you know where if, if you're down in a session, if, if you're not feeling it right, you know where your, your revolutions per minute should be and stuff. So is that where you're kind of shooting for? It kind of puts you at a, at a certain, I guess, percentage that you're supposed to be at? Is that, is that how they're kind of teaching you guys or kind of implementing this, the, the uh, technology? Yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate to what they're looking for and what I'm looking for. And I think that's how it should be. Yeah. And, and then – processing the information uh besides coach jones is there anyone else that works with you guys or do you guys kind of just have to for lack of better words figure it out for yourself uh we have plenty of like coordinators and front okay. office i'll come in town like uh they'll they'll pick out like a few things and give you some suggestions and it'll they'll talk to uh jj about it and usually like they kind of they really trust JJ and his work as he is really good at what he does. That's awesome. It, it's, it's, it's interesting information. I, I'm pleased to see the Padres really embracing it. And I'm just, I just eager to talk to you guys about how you guys are imp implementing it and using it. Cause it's uh it's useful information. A lot of guys are kind of on the fence on it, but it's, it's cool that you're kind of embracing it and 
you're educating yourself on, on, on your body and that's what it's about, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, it's getting to the point to where it's almost, you almost have to because everybody else that's using it is just blowing by everybody. I mean, look at the Astros of the world, the Rays of the world. I mean, they're taking these these numbers and they're just applying it at different levels. I mean, I mean, we've talked about it before about how much it's helped you. Uh, you know, rap soda machines have talked to AJ Kennedy, who, I mean, who doesn't love AJ? You know, talking to David Bednar about you know the tunneling and using the rap soda machines with his pitchers. I mean, it's it's just a tool that's out there, and why the hell not use it? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to use. Uh, something that it's going to give you the most, and for I mean, there's a, there's a line between like having too much information and leaning on that, but any information you can take and apply and make yourself better. And there's obviously plenty of examples between the Rays, Astros, and Dodgers, as you mentioned. But like, why why would you set yourself uh, behind the eight ball like that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just one of those things to where you look at and it's like it's in front of you. You don't have to buy it. And it's literally just there to help you. <laughs> I mean, look, give me a little bit on your roommate. I mean, you room with Lake all, pretty much all year, right? Yeah, we had uh, once Miller got promoted, he moved in with us. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was basically me and him for most of the year. He seems like the most laid back guy ever. Like he's one of those guys that no matter where he sees you, he'll say hello, you know, kind of chat a little bit, but he's just so laid back. Is he like that as a roommate too? Yeah, definitely. Like there's like, he kind of has like a, an on and off switch. Like he, when it's off, like he's laid back. And then whenever he takes the mound, like he turns the switch on and he's one of, he seems like one of the most competitive guys out there. Cause it's, I hate saying that uh, a professional baseball player is one competitive more than the other because once you get up to like this level, everybody's super competitive because you can't just you know you're not going to stick at this level and be on if you're not super competitive. But man, like the the change from how he just walks around like really laid back and then goes out there and competes the way he does, it's <laughs> it's impressive like to see two sides of Lake. What a second half from Bacher, too. I mean, he just he went on a roll there where he he was just dominating guys. I mean, was do you know if there was any change with him or it was just him executing at that point? I want to say there was – it might have been like a slight change, but, I mean, it was just like quiet like execution one after another. Like all of a sudden he had rolled off like a bunch of stars going seven plus, maybe giving up a run, and then he had like – like one game where he might have gone like seven and punched out 11 just absolutely dominated like it was just it was a very like quiet climb like the first uh like three four starts of his the run that he went on and then like the second half of that run it was just dominant well there was there was a stretch to where him and bednar were on at the same time too and it was just like if if Lake can go six, you know, uh, we can go to one of you guys. And we had Radke at the time. Like, who was going to score runs on that? Oh, <laughs> uh, Dave turns it on in the second half every year. Like, he might, he'll, he'll be okay in the first half. You know, it'll be good. But then, like, you look at first half Dave, first second half Dave, especially the, like, the last two years, it, like, he's just putting up, like, stupid numbers. Like, almost, like, the, 
striking out way more, way over a guy in inning and not walking you by not giving up any hits, no runs. Like the runs that he goes on in the second half are just absolutely impressive. And the, the crazy thing is I asked you one day, it was, I think it was at the, almost at the start of the second half to where I was like, you know, who's impressing you from your point of view. And at that point, Bednar had looked really good, but at that point we'd had Munoz and, you know, we had guys like that in the back end. Uh, Radke was really good at that point too. And it's like, you don't even look at Bednar because, I mean, he wasn't doing like anything out of the ordinary. He's just doing what David Bednar does. And then he got that second half and you're talking about that, that second half run that that he went on where he was literally untouchable for a month, it felt like, or even two months, it felt like it got to. I mean... What is it like to see a teammate like that go on a run like that? Oh, it's definitely awesome because, I mean, I've played with Dave since uh, 2016 because he was – that was the year he got drafted and he came to Fort Wayne in, like, late June, July, early July. And it, when you, like, build close relationships with guys like that, especially bullpen guys that you really build uh, a tight bond with, whenever you see them go on runs like that, like, it's – it's just as rewarding, like if you were to go on and do something like that. Yeah, that's awesome. He, Bednar is, is just playing, pitching out of his mind. Uh, you're talking about a 30, 35th round pick. Uh, you're a 37th round pick. Uh, Eric Yardley, uh, a pitcher who was completely undrafted, had to play independent ball in Taos, New Mexico, uh, is pitching in the major leagues. How excited are you for those guys, and how much of a motivational factor is it seeing that they had success, and it doesn't really matter where you're drafted as long as you're able to succeed at the, the level that you're at? Oh, you really get excited uh, to see guys like that. Even even if I wasn't <clears throat> a late-round pick, if I was a top pick, like it's, I think everyone can appreciate when you see guys that are kind of given basically a uniform to wear like as far as like an investment goes. And it really, and if you're one of those guys like me, it really motivates you because you're thinking like, hey, it is, it can happen. And it's not, not about where you're picked. Like if you're good enough to pitch in the big leagues or hit in the big leagues, whatever the case may be, you're going to get that shot. I know James wants to ask you about hitting here in a second because, you know, we were talking about you being a catcher. How upset were you as an Oklahoma suitor to never get to play against Texas? Oh, that was... That was almost that was pretty heartbreaking. Cause I'd uh, I'd thrown like we had a Tuesday game against Oklahoma State, and I threw like two and change. It was a long, miserable game. It's a game that I would love to forget uh, because we lost twenty four to two uh, in Stillwater. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I I came in and it was like bases loaded, nobody out, like sixteen to nothing. And they were, it was just one of those days they hit every single thing that I threw up there. (laughs) So I was, so I couldn't pitch Friday and then Saturday, uh, it didn't happen. And then we were in this rubber game on Sunday and they just went with the hot hand for that to win the series in Austin, but I mean, you had to throw that in there, huh? Yeah, I definitely had to throw that <laughs> in there. I've never lost. I've never been on a team that's lost a series at Texas. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those that you don't know, uh, Blake was a catcher uh, starting out. Uh, give give us a little bit about how the fa- how 
catching's kind of helped you with your pitching or has it helped you at all with your pitching? Yeah, it's definitely, I'd say it's definitely helped me um, because I'm able to kind of figure out what, what I am. And if I was calling, if I was catching me and calling the game, uh, mm-hmm. what would be the most effective way to attack certain hitters and understanding how to work counts and uh, what hitters uh, in certain situations are looking for and just the experience back there and seeing how like the game unfolds. Cause like my first couple of years of pitching, I was just, I didn't really use that. I was just kind of throwing, but like as time's gone on, like I'm starting to lean more on that catching experience as far as like, okay, this is how I get out with out giving up runs, like managing base runners and what I'm looking for. Like with a runner on first, even though it's 0-2, there's nobody out or one out, I should throw a pitch that's going to get me a double play ball because that's the most efficient, effective way possible to get guys off the bases. And then I could, I could end up striking out the next guy or getting them out with nobody on. Or if he gets on, there's only one guy on. I'm not having to work with a guy in scoring position. Awesome, awesome. He got you a two for five this year in Amarillo. Your bad pitch is a, it's a thousand. I mean, your your batting average with balls in play is a thousand right now. So I mean, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> high strikeout rate. But yeah, well, in, this also, age, in this day and age, we were a thousand. Yeah. It's a thousand with runners in scoring position yeah, too. Damn right oh, it yeah, is. Double, double <laughs> I got the video to prove it too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Um, I mean, we just talked about catchers. You know, let's talk about one of the guys that I don't think gets enough praise in the system is AJ Kennedy. What's your kind of relationship with him, and what do you have like to say on him? His ability behind the plate when he does get to play. Oh, it's me and him have a pretty tight relationship. Um, and being able to like sit down with him on the days that he's not playing and kind of go over stuff and like the suggestions that he gives. And, uh, I mean, just watching him when I, when I pitch and like watching him receive the ball, it's beautiful. Like his, the way that he, he moves back there and how he, adjust to every single different pitcher like he knows where the ball is going to go and he's able to meet it and his feel for the game like uh i think it was fuzia had had struggled and he the next time out aj caught him and he went with a completely different approach and it was really effective. Like he might've thrown like three shutout innings or he might've given up a Hodgetown home run, you know, that that, uh, that tends to happen there, but it was a really, really clean outing. He's like, Hey, like you need to do that. And being able to do that for a guy that is just kind of in and out off that roster, filling in, going back and forth. Like that takes not only like a special talent, but a special teammate to, do that for another guy like looking out for other guys careers like he really is invested in how the pitchers do well and he's for people that don't know aj is a communications major and he i don't think i've ever talked to anybody that you know can go back and forth with people and relate to people better i mean i did a 
think a 20 minute interview with him and I didn't even realize that it was 20 minutes because you know he's he's just so good at giving answers and talking to you and you know relaying asking questions back he's just one of those guys that you have to talk to to understand exactly how good he is at it but I imagine it's like having an extra pitching coach out there and I'm sure coach Jones really appreciates him being on the roster oh yeah we all there's not a single guy in that clubhouse player or staff that doesn't appreciate having him there do you feel a little spoiled with all the catchers that you got to catch this that got to catch you this year like i mean campusano terenz kennedy overstreet i mean yeah it's not a bad luxury to have (laughs) i mean i mean what else do we have here uh you know kind of walk me through your off season because that's what i'm kind of curious about because i know like we've talked about it but i kind of want people to realize what you do during the off season so you took a month off, right? And then do you just go straight into throwing? Like, what are the workouts kind of like during your off month, too? Um, so I'm going, I work out at a place called APEC in Fort Worth, and that's five days a week. Uh, I'm not throwing right now until the 1st of November. So right now, since everyone has pretty much started working out because they took time off, too, from the, from the season, um, it's it's progressed like you're not going to go in there blow out and try and do as much weight as you can so there's certain steps that you got to take so you go in there you you get get your body activated stretch and then you kind of go through some uh mobility kind of stuff then you have your lift and then depending on the day uh you have like a recovery session whether it's uh more active if you're going to do like conditioning on like a bike or uh, they got, they got a bunch of machines in there that have absolutely kicked my ass the past <laughs> two weeks. Uh, but yeah, it, it just kind of depends on the day. And then once I'm start throwing after, after I'm done working out, I'll, uh, I'll slowly progress my throwing to max effort and usually start throwing bullpens uh, mid to late January somewhere in there kind of realize that you have muscles that you didn't even know you had when you start working out like that huh oh that's it's the toughest thing is to get back in the swing of working out especially after uh a long season that went into the playoffs like your your body needs to rest like that you got to give it a little bit of time but i mean the getting back into the swing of things is just absolutely brutal It's, it's a it's a way different uh, off season than you had last year. I mean, you spoke about the AFL uh, experience last year. Uh, you were obviously pitching at this time still um, last year. Uh, give us a little a little bit more about your experience with the Javelinas and, and and winning that championship and and what it meant for you. Yeah, so how I ended up there was like completely wild because I had started my first day of workouts. I think it was it would have been like this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time last year and I get a call they say hey we uh, need a spot filled uh, in the fall league would you be interested and I'm like yeah absolutely like it's one of those things you can't really turn right. down so I that that day that they called me it was a Monday that that was my first I went to the local cage that night and started throwing for the first time since the season ended and then I flew out on a Wednesday uh, through a bullpen, I think, on on uh, Friday. And then through a bullpen on Monday. 
and then I was in a game on Wednesday. So not even like 10 days or whatever it is to start up throwing. And I was in a game at the Arizona Fall League. So that was absolutely wild. And then I ended up maybe even better is I, I threw pretty well, I felt like, down there. And then, like, getting to win the championship, it meant a lot. And the guys that you meet uh, from other organizations is really cool and really special, especially since we had some of the best people in baseball that were top prospect, prospects like Keston Hira and Evan White, like, just – great baseball players even better people as buddy one night i was trying to figure out how the hell buddy reed knew everybody like in the entire league because it seems like every after every game he's you know talking to somebody and he was like we all play fall league together i was like that makes so much more sense than something else like than you just going out there and meeting people he goes yeah no we just play fall league with all these guys and it's really easy to get to know them because you're spending like a whole month with them pretty much I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> Definitely. The fall, the fall League is, is quite an experience in itself. Um, we, you talked earlier about uh, rooming with Lake Bocker. Uh, I'm curious about your housing situation throughout the minor leagues and how that works um, when you're in Fort Wayne, Lake Elsinore, uh, is in particular host families. Give, give us a little bit about that. I think that's a, it's a interesting tidbit that the most fans don't really realize uh, the players have to go through the host families and sometimes uh, housing is a little difficult for you guys. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we have in our system, host families are in Tri-City and Lake Elsinore. And okay. then you have Fort Wayne's at the, or you have apartments at the other affiliates, Fort Wayne, Amarillo and El Paso. Fort Wayne, they have apartments blocked off for the team so when a new guy comes in and that guy leaves they just plug that guy into there and amarillo uh and el paso to el paso is a little bit uh from what i've heard is uh a little bit more on your own but amarillo gave us like a welcome packet of like hey these are the 10 apartment places that will suit you guys best and basically we just we spent the day after we got there going to like a couple of different apartment complexes that we were interested in and ended up going with, I think the third one that we saw. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. Cause like you got, you get there, you got your three days in the hotel and you got to figure out where you're going to live for the next five months. And then having to work a deal to where you can get a five or six months lease, which is, very difficult to do in some of these towns. That sounds kind of crazy. Like that's the side of baseball that I don't think people see like literally yeah. that they don't see when it comes down to stuff like that. I mean, I mean, overall experience in Amarillo sounds like it was pretty good. Like I said, we go back and forth on it all the time. Uh, do you have a favorite moment from the season? That championship game was pretty sick. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I think it's hard to pick uh, anything else. For me, at least. Yeah, a guy that wasn't even with y'all mid-season. I mean, he was there August first or whatever, the the day after the trade right. deadline. Yep, yep. He winds a month up, and a half. That's crazy, man. 
you know, Blake, give, give us your 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 impression of Taylor Trimble. I know you guys don't interact as much being a pitcher and a, and a position player, but give us a little bit about what you've seen of him in the in the locker room and stuff. Uh, I've had the pleasure of interacting with him a little bit. Austin has as well. He seems like a real awesome guy, kind of down to earth kind of person. Give give us a little bit about Trimble, if you will, please. Yeah, I mean, what you said is exactly what he is. He's extremely down to earth, very humble, uh, very very good at going around and getting to know everyone, which is very tough to do. I mean, think about it, like you've been playing with an organization that drafted you out of high school and then you play with them a couple of years and then you go and you might run across a couple of people that you know, but you're thrown in with basically 20, probably 24 other guys that don't even know you. And to be able to be humble and build the relationships with us that, he did in the month and a half. It was like he was kind of there all year. Like he just fit in. He's literally like the biggest cheerleader too. Like every single video that I have from the playoffs, I feel like Taylor's jumping up and down if he's not making the play. Like he's all over the place, man. Him and Luis Patino, I mean, kind of give me a little bit on Luis. He's like, I know how he is. I mean, I don't know how he is a teammate, but from what I've seen, he's just this live wire talking to him. He's another one that can talk forever if you let him to, but he's always smiling. Is he, he's one of those guys that can flip the switch too, right? Yeah. He's a definitely high energy all the time. He's uh, when he gets on the mound, like he's very competitive and it also helps that he has a very lively arm for a, what is he? Nineteen. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing at nineteen, Blake? <laughs> I was still catching. So yeah. it's it's pretty amazing when you when you think about Gore and Patino, nineteen and twenty, and and what they've are accomplishing already. I, I don't know. Give me a little bit about seeing them firsthand and, and just the notoriety between the two of them and and what you see stuff wise from these guys. Yeah, I mean, they both have just. God-given electric arms, and then the, the way that at a young age they've been able to mature as pitchers, like finding secondary pitches and the pitchability, and also like the competitiveness. Like they've, like especially like for McKenzie, like he probably just cruised through dominating high school hitters for four years or hour long. He. Uh, pitched at a varsity level and then to not be complacent and go out and want to dominate and compete against hitters that are I mean in double a they could be 10 years or more older than him (laughs) and he's he's just not not intimidated and when you I mean you could say and the same thing goes for Patino uh, when you combine like that ability and competitive drive like you get something really special. I mean, you know, Gore striking out Matt Carpenter or, you know, Hunter Pence, those were pretty two pretty mind blowing things just seeing him dominate guys like that. Uh welcome back, folks. Uh, episode one eleven of the East Village Times podcast. Uh we just had a wonderful conversation with Blake Rogers, fresh off a Texas League championship. I guess it's not really too fresh, but it's nice to to talk to a player. I know that you have the opportunity to talk to these guys all the time. Um, it's nice to get their thoughts on the air and, and, and just how exciting it was for the city of Amarillo, right, Austin? I talked to Blake about it. Blake and I laugh about it all the time about the fact that it feels like it was yesterday, mm-hmm. but it also at the same time feels like it was six months ago 
when it yeah, was yeah. literally only like a month ago. So it's kind of crazy the passage of time between when it happened and kind of what we're at now. And it's uh, it's pretty awesome to talk to these guys. I mean, we'll, I'm sure we'll have more uh, once a lot of them get back. And you know, I know one in particular that we don't name guests before they get back, but <laughs> I know one of my favorite people will probably join us when he gets back. So Yeah, we're, we're a little superstitious about naming our guests beforehand. Yeah. Uh, on this podcast, it's funny how that seems to always screw us in the end when I do. Um, but we will definitely have more players and uh, personalities on in the in the coming weeks, so we're excited for it's that. Good to throw in a player, uh, though. Like, yeah, it definitely is because you know, like the Rapsodo information he gave us, the information about the the housing. I mean, that's stuff that you don't ever hear anybody talk about, and it's just you can write about it, but it's nice to hear it from their mouth and with the conviction and stuff that they you know, say. And, we also don't hear enough about Wellman. We don't hear enough about Jimmy Jones. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, once we have a hitter on here, once we have whenever, you know, you know who comes on, like James knows, yeah. uh, we'll ask about, uh, you know, Coach Padron and, you know, exactly. just the hitting aspect of it. But, I mean, it's nice to hear what these guys think about their coaches. And you can tell in Blake's voice that he's, I mean, that's, if you've never talked to Blake, if you've never heard Blake talk, Whenever you hear him talk about Coach Wellman or Coach Jones, that's like being one thousand percent genuine, and he was pretty genuine the entire, the entire deal. Anytime he wasn't ragging on me about my horns, like it was all good. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. it's nice to hear what you know players think about the coaches, and that it's a great reaction whenever they do. For sure, it's it's exciting times in this Padres system, and it's nice to talk to uh, a pitcher who's kind of unheralded, a relief pitcher. Uh, a, a grinder, if you will, someone who's trying to get his his make his way in the, in the, in the professional baseball. So, uh, we wish Blake Rogers all the luck in the world, and uh, it's you know it's just a matter of time before we hopefully see him at Petco Park. Uh, speaking of which, the San Diego Padres are apparently close to naming a manager. If you believe certain sources, I, I don't know. At, at this point, it looks like Ron Washington could be the next manager of this team. Uh, there's also an outside choice that uh, outside chance that Jace Tingler could uh, win the job or or win the Spot. interview process. I, I don't. I I'm still kind of processing all this information. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, you had seen Ron Washington up close in Texas. You and I have talked uh, off the air about his managerial style. Talked on air last week. Yeah, I, I'm. You know, I'm wondering what you think the Padres are going to get out of Ron Washington. Are they looking for that baseball lifer, that, that gritty coach who's going to get in the player's face? Is that, is that what Washington no. brings? No. Okay. Uh, you're going to get a guy that that's, that the players are going to love. I think actually like the player, that's not the part I'm worried about. I'm more worried about the managerial aspect of it more than player interaction because he's always had, Really good player interaction when he was here in Texas. I mean, him and Elvis Andrews had this. Yeah, can you get into it with with Teixeira and and yeah, but Lair t- sure and got and into a sure got into it with a lot of people. Oh, like, okay, that's Tex. I mean, okay. yeah, I mean, he fit right in in pinstripes. Let's put it that way. But <laughs> I mean, you know, he. I think you'll get a good guy that's pretty good with your pretty good with your players. Um, I've, I mean, I've heard the rumor that maybe Tingler comes with him, and I think that eases the blow a whole lot more if that winds up happening. Now, I'm to the point now to where, you know, I still to this day think that Espada and Tingler are the right choices. 
uh, when yeah. it comes to jobs like this because we continue talking about it whenever we we are on this subject about the fact that you know all of these managers that are either in the World Series or in the playoffs in general are either on their first job or got screwed in their first job and are on their second job hinting AJ Hinch. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's so, so many, it's, there's just so many of managers that just don't have success in their first year. I mean, it just it's it's rare. The Alex Coras, the 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 Boons out AJ there, Hinch, are they don't happen, and they're happening no. more and more because teams are giving them the opportunity with good rosters. Yes, yes, it's it's Mike Schultz. That's another one. Yeah, in the past they would give a young manager a young team and expect him to cultivate and and produce and kind of what they did with Andy Green in 2015. It's it's different. But they're not all AJ Hinch. They're not all. I mean, AJ's not even a good example because he had the failed time that he got screwed in Arizona. But yes. you know, uh, you, everybody's not Alex Cora. Everybody's not you know. Uh, why am I blanking right now? Everybody's yeah. not Alex Cora. You know, everybody's not Davy Martinez. Uh, How many times did Tony De Russa fail before he actually had success? Exactly. Cardinals. I mean, he was the manager a couple I mean, other times before. The flip side of that is Gabe Kapler. You know? <laughs> like a guy yeah. that got a shot with the, I mean, probably the best roster out of any of the new managers, you know, when he got the job at the time and couldn't do anything with it. And, you know, that's the other side of the coin with these new managers. Like, they're not always going to succeed. It just seems like that a lot more lately because, you know, guys that are getting their jobs, that are, are getting good, you know, good to decent rosters, they're, you know, they're having success. I still think that hiring a guy that's not, that's never had managerial experience, not never, but never at the major league level is a good idea. And I think it's a guy that needs to be really analytically driven too. like that needs to be a key for me. So that's why I'm kind of leaning against Washington. You know, besides from what I've seen in the past, but I mean, I I don't even want to cultivate that because, you know, I'm all for second chances. You know, when it comes to stuff like that, it's just I want to see it. You know, and we can't see it unless it happens. Yeah, it it. There's no exact science to baseball. I mean, we know that. There's there. I mean, you can name certain specifics and name other specifics, and they can just cancel each other out. So I mean, it, it's. It's about feel at this point, and I'm wondering what they're feeling from these guys. I'm, I'm still a little concerned about the fact that the Padres are reaching out to the Rangers, a, a, an organization that Preller's familiar with. I, I know that familiarity is is nice, but I, I'm just concerned that the team needs to look at other resources, needs to bring in an Espada, needs to bring in a, well, The problem a is Phil they Nevin. can't talk to those guys right now, technically. Yeah, of course, of course they can't. Yeah, that's the thing. But I'm just, I'm, I, you know, I know they're 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 they want to hurry up and, and get the offseason going there's a lot of potential moves that need to be made and obviously a manager in place is is the first that, that needs to be done before you start tinkering with the roster so i i don't know i'm just i just wish they would wait another week another 10 days let let the world series play yeah, out because then you have two other candidates that you can interview you know you can inter- yes. you can actually properly interview henley <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Can... Henley was, uh, and I wonder how much that Henley rumor that came out was just kind of throwing diversion, a, a diversion tactic, if you will, to keep us keep everyone away from Washington and Tinkler. I, I I'm just, you know, it, at this point, AJ Preller, this is a very important hire for him. A lot of people We've are saying that, that every pretty much every episode, spot, it's crucial. Yeah, he's gonna get 
yes, he's going to be in, in, in hot water in two, three, four years down the road if this hire doesn't work. So this is crucial for him. So I'd like for them to take their time. I know they're anxious to, to make some moves and make some trades and, and tinker with the roster and move players around. But at this point, waiting till November 1st or, or the end of October to, to get something done isn't going to be a detrimental to the future of this team. So I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see at this point. This is looking- the most important offseason in franchise history. It, it it really is because they've flipped this cruise ship around that's been headed down the wrong road, and it, it's it's almost happening. There, there, you can see the promised land. You 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 see what they're trying to achieve, and it's exciting. But yet, there's still a long way to go. There, there's still results have to be made. There's still these prospects have to hit. There's still a manager that needs to be in place, and and, and a a process that needs to be developed and cultivated so uh, we'll have to wait and see uh at this point it's looking like ron washington or jace tingler i i don't know it could change at, at a drop of a hat uh especially if maybe the yankees are eliminated tonight so uh, happy I, yankee I, elimination day everybody <laughs> yeah exactly uh if that happens you could see a josh bard or uh phil nevin in, in the conversation both ex-padres both ties with the San Diego, with uh, San Diego. So I heard Bard, and I don't like. I just groaned, and I don't know why. Yeah, I don't. I think that's just more. Yeah, I think that's more speculation above anything else. Just that he has, you know, a former catcher tied. Do with we the know? Padres. Have do we know if they're going to interview Schumacher at all? I I saw that he got a Mets interview today, but yeah. I don't think so. I. I I'm surprised that he got an interview with the Mets. I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, I had a little bit of interaction with him this year. Not not much. He didn't seem very um, outgoing or outspoken. So I'm kind of wondering what. Maybe Brody's just know. doing due diligence. Yeah, I, I think so. Did, did Schumacher play for the Mets at one point? Uh, I feel like Schumacher played for a lot of people. I know he played for St. Louis <laughs> for a while. I think he was like uh, a know, journeyman. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. It's just due, dil- due, due, due diligence at this time, at this point, just, you know, going through all the process. Because any, at New York, any former Padres in the World Series? Fernando Rodney? Uh, Mabin's on the Mets. True. Robbing on the Yankees. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't think of many others. I don't think. I'm, I'm a little concerned about this managerial hire. I'm a little frustrated, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. Uh, yeah, I, I guess it is. Um, I think we're about done, Austin. I don't know what else we have to talk to. It's pretty good show talking to Blake, getting for what the minor leaguers go through on a daily basis. Uh, we will be back next week. We have a pretty exciting guest lined up. Um, I think that I we're think not good- talking about again. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we'll have a manager in place next week so we can start talking about a manager, start breaking that down, start working about it, start talking about a coaching staff for this team, because that's something that they need to, to work on as well. You would imagine that the new hire is going to want to bring in his own staff, and that's another process that's going to have to be done. So, absolutely, uh, you don't want you don't want a manager having to deal with a coaching staff that's not his. That's just one of those things that just can't happen. Um, next week, I think we're going to try to go over kind of arbitration numbers and you know what we what the projections say they look like, and we'll kind of overlook the roster next week too. 
um, kind of get everybody ready for the offseason. Like we said, the most important offseason in Padres history. For sure. There should be some moves here and there. Uh, AJ Preller's got a deep to-do to-do list. And uh, we'll just have to be patient and wait and see what happens. EVT Podcast 111. Thank you so much, folks, for joining us. Uh, EVT Podcast, signing out.